we don't want to be afraid to ask for help. Well, Nate really needs some help on his transitions there. So if, he's right back here. If you, you grab him after service, give him some ideas. That one fell flat. I don't know how you come back from that. Hey, welcome if you're with us. Now, here's something I'm having to learn. Now, if this is not confusing. If you look back there, there's three cameras, and there's a red light and a green light. I thought the green one means go, so look at that. No, 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 no. It's the red one I'm supposed to look at. The green one's next. So if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online. I'm looking right at you right now. And also, if you are in the cafeteria, we are now got a live feed out in the cafeteria. So if you need to leave and you want to follow service, you can do that. I'm looking at that camera. So there we go. So a while back, I was reading about people who have a heart attack. So afterward, the doctor will sit down and say, hey, here's some things you might need to change. Maybe your diet, maybe you need to quit smoking, maybe you need to exercise more. And statistics show that after a certain amount of time, six, eight weeks, I don't remember what it was, people go right back to what they were doing. A majority of people go back to the lifestyle that contributed to their heart attack. They just can't, the craving for whatever that is, they just can't leave what's literally killing them. Well, in the book of Revelation, I, I would suggest that has come out. I mean, it has spoken a word of warning. Look, if God wanted to bring judgment, he'd just do it. The first was a quarter of the earth, and it was a third of the earth. God is waiting that people might turn to him. But what we're seeing in the book of Revelation and in life experiences, people don't. Even though they're facing the judgment of God, they won't turn from the world to him. Why is that? What's got a hold on us? We're going to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 18, we're going to go through this passage, and we're going to ask the question, what keeps us? What keeps us from turning the world back to God? What is it that holds us glued to the world and not turning to God? If you haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick overview. Book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We get a framework for what's going on, the genres, if you will, that are going to be used. Uh, verse 1 and 1 to God says, I'm going to, John, I'm going to speak to you uh, through an apocalypse, a vision. What we understand is God is going to communicate a message through symbols. Think about the political commentator who uses the political cartoon. Those symbols are communicating a message. But this message is not for uh, speculation and theorizing. What might this be? No, this is a really practical word. It's a prophecy. That's chapter 1, verse 4 says. And if we were to go to the end of chapter 22, which we'll do we'll go, when it's a summary, four times it's mentioned it's a prophecy. So this, a prophecy is instruction. There is some future telling, but it's a how to live. And there are seven churches that are being instructed on how to live. They're living in the Roman Empire, which is demanding that they worship the Roman gods and ultimately the Roman emperor as God. They see the gods mediating their blessings, blessings through the emperor, so the emperor is to be deified. In fact, seven cities, six have had temples built in them, five have a subsidized priesthood to lead the people in worshiping the Roman gods. So it's a prophecy, instruction how to live, but it's written in the form of a letter. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John is writing a letter to seven churches. John himself is suffering for his faith. He has been exiled to the island of Patmos. He is living by himself. Uh, the closest church is about 50 miles away, and, and so he's writing this letter. And chapters 1 through 3 uh, address each church of the seven churches separately, saying, this is going well. This needs to change. Chapters 4 and 5, then, in the vision, John is in heaven. Things are in order in heaven, but not so much on earth. And the idea is, how do we bring heaven to earth? And there is a scroll 
that has God's plan to vindicate the righteous and to, to um, judge the unrighteous and to bring heaven to earth, if you will. But there's seven seals on it, and you need to have the authority. Someone's got to have the authority to break those seals and open it. And John begins to cry because there's no one with authority to do it. Until he hears about the root of David and the line of Judah. Old Testament terms, militaristic for sure, talk about conquering. But then he looks and he sees a slain lamb. The idea of Jesus did conquer by giving his life. And that will be a model for the church. That will then introduce a series of three seven-step judgments. The first one is the, the seal judgments. And the first six seem to go in chronological order, bring us to the end. But the seventh brings us the trumpet judgments. So chapters 6 through 8 give us the seal judgments. Chapters 8 through 11 give us the trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgments introduce the bowl judgments. But before we get to those, we get an interlude in chapters 12 through 14, which explains what's really going on. There's a cosmic battle going on. It's not what you see on earth. But we get introduced to a dragon who is emblematic of Satan and a, two beasts in the end times, that's the Antichrist, who will demand to be worshipped, and a second beast who will push people towards him. And, and what's going on is, what we're understanding is Satan is behind every human institution that is asking for our worship. So John, Jesus, and I want you to know, this is what's going on. Finally then, in verses 15 and 16, we get the third set of judgments, the seven bold judgments, and that takes us to the end of time. God is going to introduce his kingdom, but before he does that, He's going to dismantle every human institution, every structure, including the nation state. And Babylon is the type for that. In the Old Testament, that's a nation that stood against God, and it, it captures those nation states. And in chapter 17, we saw God start to take apart, dismantle Babylon. And we're going to continue with that in chapter 18. And again, we're putting this question as we see this, this question, why? What is it that's so alluring that we won't turn from the world to God. So rather than seeing the actual judgment of Babylon, John is going to hear about it. First, in verses 1 through 8, from two heavenly voices, and then in verses 9 through about 19, three earthly perspectives. So here we go with the first heavenly voice. Verse 1, And after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Remember, Babylon's a picture for every nation state that would stand against God, including Rome. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So this glorious, luxurious place in the end becomes a, a haunt for demonic beings, a hangout, if you will. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. We'll hear this theme again. The kings of the earth, they linked themselves to Rome because they saw security, and they had bought into her value system. Idolatry, injustice, polytheism, because they want the security Rome has to offer. And, not another group that we'll hear about, the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Rome was living in luxury. Well, somebody's got to make and supply those goods. And that's what the merchants did. And as they did, they, man, they, they lined their pockets. Rome was a cash cow. They're grieving. That's the first heavenly voice. Second one, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of 
her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Now, Jesus told us, be in the world and not of the world. Remember, this is the seven churches. They, they are living under the Roman Empire. But John is communicating the message of Jesus. Don't buy into their value system. Come out from that value system. You're in it, but you're not of it. Four, why? Her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. There's no end. Sin gets going, it gets rolling, and you think there's a stop. No, no, it becomes more addictive, and it becomes more perverse. Pay her back even as she is paid. And I think this is talking about her taking of the lives of God's people. And give to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she has glorified herself and lives sensuously. I'm going to draw attention to myself. I'm going to dress so you'll look at, hey, look at me. To the same degree, give her torment and mourning. Catch this. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow. I, I will not suffer loss and will never see mourning. God says, we'll see about that. But that's what happens when we get drunk with power of the earth. We think we're invincible. We, we're, nothing, we're untouchable. For this reason in one day, again, used metaphorically, the, 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 the judgment will come quickly. Her plagues will come and pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord who judges her is strong. Well, Rome's really strong. Yeah, but the Lord's stronger. People often ask me, Andy, the fire of hell, is that literal or metaphorical? When we talk about the fires of hell, Jesus talked about the fire, unquenchable fire, but he talked about outer darkness. How do you put those two together? Here's, I, I, I think it's metaphorical, but in the end, I don't think it really matters because what Jesus is trying to communicate is this is a place you don't want to be. Oh, man, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, hell and I'm going to be with all my muddies. No, 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 no. You, you don't understand. This is the absence of God. The control of evil, destruction, and death. I mean, we're reading about that in the Ukraine right now. This is going to be Ukraine on steroids. It's a place you don't want to be. So we're talking about this dismantling, the coming apart of these institutions, and we've heard it from two heavenly voices. Now we're going to get this perspective of three people, or three groups of people. And the first one is uh, the kings of the earth. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, and catch this, the strong city. See, nations have linked with Rome and the Babylons of the world because that's where security is. But you're going to have to compromise your values. You're going to have to compromise your understanding of God. That's okay if you can lock in your security. God's saying, no, i got a problem with that. Security's in me. And you put it in these nation states and these powerful institutions. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Four in one hour. Okay, we've gone from one day to one hour. Now, this one hour is going to link these three groups of people. We're going to see the kings, we're going to see the merchants, and we're going to see those who make their living on the sea. One hour, your judgment has come. It will come quickly. 
First group's the kings. Second group, the merchants, verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. Why? Because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every kind of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. One scholar I read broke these groups down, uh, these products down into um, precious metals, fabrics for expensive clothes, ornamental pieces, aromatic substances, foodstuffs, animals, and people. In parentheses, slaves. Rome was living in luxury. Somebody's making a lot of money off that. They're selling their product and they're lining their pockets. And they're really sad to see Rome go. Verse 14, the fruit you long for is gone from you. And all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. And men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich for her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she who clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour, one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. We've seen the market drop, right? Boom, how much, how much wealth? was lost. But there's a chance the market will go back up at some point. There ain't no going back here. And this will be a loss like has never been seen. And the merchants of the world will grieve because their, their market is gone. Their buyers, I can make my product, but I can't sell it. And I thought I had forever. Well, there's a third group. I guess it would be a subgroup. Those who make their living on the sea. Second part of verse 14, every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads, that's a sign of mourning, and were crying out weeping and mourning saying, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour she has been laid waste. This was a word for seven churches who were living, arguably, at that time under the most powerful empire that had been seen. People celebrated the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, the wealth, the road system, and it'd be easy to buy in. There's stability there, the, the most powerful force on earth, and there's wealth. But God's word is timeless. And what was true then is true now. And if ever there's a culture that needs to hear this message about putting your hope in, I'm going to alliterate here, market and military, it's our culture. Right now there's a war going on in Ukraine, and Ukraine is begging us for, and I'm not trying to make a political statement, I'm just pointing out a reality, for advanced weapon systems. I'd argue, I mean, this is shown. If we're not the most powerful military, we're one of the most. We can find our security there. I guess it's a little dicey to talk about the market. Now it's been down a few thousand. But still, 
We're a country that places a lot of hope and wealth, and we're caught up on it. This is a market economy, and if you don't have a need for my product, I will hire some marketing people, and they will create a need for you. So several weeks ago, we got a family plan, phone plan that we were in. One of our sons wanted to get a, um, a hotspot, which is fine. We got in there and got that figured out. But the guy, as we closed it, oh, by the way, do you know you're, you're available for an upgrade? You turn in your phone, we'll give you uh, $440 for it. And then, so what, 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 what's, what's that next phone cost? Oh, it's about... 900? I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quick. I thought, let me do the math. That's a net of 460 that I'm going to pay. People I talk and I text and I shoot in an occasional picture, which I will send in a text. Why do I need a new phone? This is working just fine. I don't know, perhaps my pictures aren't that great, but, but people get the gist. And he went down. There were three of the four people on our plan that were, what well, do you think so? And so, well, yeah, I don't think so. They turn in this phone, they get that. And it was a soft sell. There was no, no pressure. But what's that appealing to? Your phone isn't good enough. You need the next best. You don't want a seven when you could have a 12 or whatever. You guys were right in the middle of what he's talking about in Revelation. Years ago when we were working with Campus Crusade, we had some friends, they were house hunting. And they settled on this house. And the realtor said, but you can afford more house. And they said, we don't need more house. This will do. But you can afford more house. We don't need. I mean, it just we're, we're speaking different languages here. We're in the middle of it. And we need to make sure we're not getting sucked into the value system. Well, there's this value system that's going to be laid waste, and a lot of people are lamenting, but there's one group that's not. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Who's rejoicing? Well, in particular, those saints who have lost their lives. Because see, in this system that says, I demand to be worshipped as God, and I demand, and, and then these people who worship Jesus say, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I respect your authority, but I, but I don't see you as the final authority. I see God as the final authority, and I can't em worship you, emperor, as God. I can submit to your rule, but I can't worship you as God. And, and your, these uh, pagan feasts we have for the, the gods of the metal workers and the carpenters, I, I can't participate in that because I ultimately serve Jesus. And you may not be able to work, and, and you may lose your life because of that because we can't have that here. You're upsetting the gods, and you're upsetting the... And these people have been in heaven asking for vindication because they were found guilty in human courts, but now they're being shown to be not guilty and righteous in human courts. And they're waiting for that day. Well, what's going on in Rome? Well, we're going to find that out starting in verse 21. Before I verse, read verse 21, let me set it up. This is taken from Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah sends a scribe, or an apprentice, if you will, to Babylon to read a charge. And in the end, he says, I want you, scribe, to take that scroll and I want you to throw it in the Euphrates River and say, and this is rough, as the scroll sinks and won't rise again, so Babylon will sink and not rise again. That sets up 
verse 21, here's what it says. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. So those of you living in the city-state, it will come to an end. Those of you, first readers, seven churches, Rome will come to an end. What will happen then? And the sound, I mean, verse 20, of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. Why do you have musicians? Usually you have musicians to celebrate. Ain't going to be no more celebrations anymore. Second group, going to be idle or silence. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. Why? Because there's no market. Why make your product if you can't sell it? And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Boy, this judgment is harsh. Is it fair? Is it right? Think about 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain in the earth. God is judging these nations righteously. God will never be found unjust. And part of this is these city-state nations have put God's people down. In many cases, they've executed them. The, the number continues to grow, by the way, in our world of nation-states who will not allow anything but the worship of their God intentionally, in quotes. We started by asking this question, what is it that sucks us in? Remember the heart attack patient who can't, who, who practices these unhealthy, what is it that keeps us from turning from the world to God? Here's what I'd say, based on Revelation 18. The craving, the lust for power and wealth keeps us from turning to God. The craving, the passion for power and wealth keeps us from turning to God. Well, again, we live in arguably the most powerful nation in the world, and we live in a culture where we want to be physically dominant. Think about the, the football player in a stadium of 50 or 60,000 who makes a sack on a quarterback, what does he do? He steps out and he presents, celebrate me with me because I just sacked that guy. That's our culture. Look at that, huh? And the craving for wealth, status, picture. So sometimes as a family, after second service, we'll go down and we'll eat down in the 27th and Holdridge area. And then we'll come across Holdridge. We live at 95th and Holdridge Ballpark. And it's very interesting for me to make that drive. Because you start at 27th. The homes are fairly modest. But as you make your way east, get a little bigger. And here they got one stall, unattached garages. Get a little bigger and pretty. And then there's two stall. And you get out past East Campus, and they, they get a little bigger yet. Now you got two stars. They're, they're connected. Then you get out, and I'm not, okay, so I live out there. So I'm saying we. I live out at 95th and Holdridge. You get out there, this house a whole lot bigger than the one down at 27th. Now you got three stall garages. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Way back in the day, this, this house was okay for a family of four, but apparently it ain't anymore. What we need, term intentionally in quotes, 
has gone up in times of square footage. Are we being pulled in by the market culture? You need this. Are we asking the question, what do I need? Look, we, we live out there. We, we're going on vacation. We're, I'm not saying you're going out to eat. I'm not, but I'm saying, are we asking the question biblically that we need to ask? How much is enough and how much needs to go for God and his kingdom? One, one more thought. So when we started the church, we met at North Star High School over here in uh, 2005. And so the first place we looked for land was actually 33rd and Superior. We were back off. We weren't on Superior or, or, or uh, 33rd, but we were back off. It didn't work out, and, and, and we got a much better deal, much better value for our dollar here. But it's been interesting for me to follow because they didn't want to sell land right on Superior because they wanted that for higher-end apartments or higher-end homes. Uh, those of you who, who have driven by 33rd and Superior, what, what's being put in there on the, right on Superior right now? Storage units are. They sure are. Why do we need storage units? Because we don't have enough room for our stuff, right? Since we've been in this building in 2011, there's a storage unit going right over here. Jason, I just thought if I ever started a business, that's what I started. Put up metal buildings and you know, it's automated. You can, and, and there's no end to the need for storage units. Why? Because we're getting sucked in. To stuff. When we built out at 95th and Holdridge, one of the questions I had is, do we do a two-stall garage or a three-stall garage? I am married to the consummate anti-pack rat. We're going to get rid of stuff. But I was concerned about resale on the house. We ended up going to the two-stall. But we're the only one in the neighborhood with a two-stall garage because people got to have a place for their stuff. Revelation's warning about that. The market, the need to show, look what I got, look at my house. I, my value is in my, my house and the car. I got to drive a, a cooler car, better, better car, because it makes me feel good. It pulls us in. Just like the person who suffers a heart attack can't pull away from that lifestyle that put them there. Are we vulnerable? to this desire, this craving for power and wealth. The book of Revelation would say, yeah, we are. So what's the solution? So when I was in high school, I was a swimmer. I was quite average. But I, I subscribed to Swimming World, and it would come out every month or quarter. I don't know. And there'd be a review of the meets and what was up and coming and this and that. But, but one, of the, one of the features they have is they would feature a, 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 a star swimmer. Could be male, could be female, didn't matter. And they'd say, this is what he or she does over a week for her workout. And the idea was, well, maybe if I emulate her or him, I can get a little better. Because they're really good. At, that's someone I want to follow. So here's what I suggest about the Bible. There's someone in there we need to emulate. His name is Jesus. Can I talk about his attitude towards power for just a second. Here's what Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says. Who, talking about Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But catch this. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant 
and being made in the likeness of man. Rather than gathering power and Jesus, he, he, he divested himself of it. That's who we need to emulate. That's Jesus, would you build your character into me? And, 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 and with wealth, and again, Paul's speaking metaphorically to the Corinthians. He's using an example to get them to follow through on a commitment they've made to help out the, the famine-stricken church in Jerusalem. But here's what he says about Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you, through his poverty, might become rich. All right, you guys, I mean, there's certain basic needs we have to meet with our salary, food, this, all this kind of stuff. But can we ask hard questions? How much of my job, phrase intentionally in quotes, of that money is for me? And how much is for the kingdom of God and for the things that matter to God, acts of mercy and kindness? Not to be about... <laughs> accumulating wealth. I think we're about to say, honestly, how much can we give away? Because <laughs> that's our model in Jesus. Well, we look at him and say, Jesus, would you recreate your character in me so that I'm not pulled in, sucked in, like everybody else described in Revelation. See, there's an allure. The craving for power and wealth will keep us from turning to God, but the character of Christ will free us to serve God and His purposes. Could you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for Jesus, um, <laughs> and He's the antidote to a world that seems very, very, very fallen, very far from you. And you've warned and you've warned, and, and yet people can't pull away because there's this craving, there's this desire, there's this want. Would you move in our lives, that we would more and more emulate Jesus, divesting ourselves of power, divesting ourselves of resources, that we might follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.